0: Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode we're going to discuss Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Episode 15 of Season 4 of Supergirl. And the big theme of this episode that we see across pretty much all of the characters is trauma and coping with trauma, both mental and physical trauma. Uh Uh-huh. Because this is the aftermath of James being shot. And one of the characters who really goes through the ringer this episode in terms of trauma is Jean.
1: Oh, bless. Poor Jean. Honestly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I. I appreciate that they've been giving David Harewood some good material to kind of sink his teeth into because he's done a yeah. fabulous job with it. Mm. But poor Jean in this episode was not not having a good time. No. So his story was a little bit separated from kind of the rest of the plots that were interconnected with what happened to James as being like the catalyst. Mm -hmm. But it connects in the sense that when they're trying to figure out maybe who was behind the attack on James, Jean still has this threat Manchester made in the previous episode in mind about saying like, maybe you need to lose more Mm -hmm. and thinking that it means the people that Jean currently associates as being part of his family. Because in the previous episode, Manchester's Stirred up all these memories of when Jean lost his wife and his daughters in the Martian genocide. Mm -hmm. And so he immediately assumes that Manchester must be behind the attack on James to get to him.
0: I think it kind of makes sense because it's like, Jean's like, well, today Manchester threatened my family and like expressed that he might use that against him to try to push him over the edge. And then James is shot by someone and they don't know who it is. And there's no one else like really on their minds about like who would go after James. Yeah. At least in a personal way. Other than, you
1: know, any disgruntled person who is angry about the anti-Lockwood stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And that's a long list of people. It sure is. But yeah, so not only is Jean kind of unsettled by these threats that Manchester has made, he's also afraid, we find out, because the spiritual beliefs associated with the Green Martians and their culture were not entirely reassuring. Mm -hmm. We find out that Hranmir was apparently a rather vengeful God in an Old Testament kind of way, and that if you failed one of his tests, you were punished. And so Jean is also afraid that that's what's happening.
0: Yeah. Although it is interesting because Ron when one of his children chose the staff, a weapon, over the sacred scrolls of symbols, he was furious. So there's sort of a, a dichotomy here, but Manchester is kind of picking and choosing which parts of Jean's religion that he wants to use against him to sway him. And I thought it was kind of neat because Manchester is playing the same sort of role that Coville did for Kara last season, mm-hmm. where he's involving himself in Jean's culture and religion in the same way. And he like tries to teach him about his own religion and tell him how he should think about it. In the same way that Coville said, this contains Raoul's words, this can remind you of what Raoul says. And then Kara's pretty pissed off and says, I know what Ral says. You are perverting it. And it's also interesting because Coville was sort of collecting every bit of Kryptonian technology that it could find. And here we have Manchester stealing various artifacts from our alien leads. In the previous episode, he stole Kryptonian technology from the Fortress of Solitude, and now he steals the staff of Kolar.
1: Yeah. And then when Jean confronts Manchester with the staff and the way he's spouting these different tenets of Jean's religion he says to him you know you don't know what you're messing around with here which is interesting because that statement kind of comes back around later on in the episode when we see jean make the decision to use the staff and Mm -hmm. being worried about what the implications of that are going to be and then it's directly spliced in with footage of lena using the harnell serum to save james and and again we don't know what the fallout of that is going to be
0: and they're both things taken from alien cultures. And Manchester takes the staff of Kolar because, you know, it's a symbol of war. And it was also an interesting image because as you had mentioned, he's talking about these punishments that Gronbier would bestow upon those he felt failed his tests, which are kind of like, you know, the Old Testament plagues. And in the story that Manchester mentioned in the last episode of Moses trying to get the Pharaoh to free his people, he uses a staff to enact some of the miracles so it was an interesting connection there well and it's also
1: interesting in the sense that Manchester kind of made that threat to Cara about taking the place of the plagues Mm. and punishing people his way
0: and here he's doing something very similar with Jean yeah he's playing God still and also kind of trying to like speak for God in a way
1: yeah and it's also intriguing in the sense that he claims he's standing up for these aliens who are being oppressed but he also is harassing some aliens yeah. who are standing up for aliens who are being oppressed, which is not generally speaking what a good ally should do. No, putting <laughs> that thought out there.
0: Pro tip. <laughs> Yeah, Manchester in this episode tries to use Jean's trauma to manipulate him, kind of the same way that we see with Lex and Lena, which we'll talk about later on in this episode. But the very first thing that we see Manchester do to manipulate John into giving up his vow of nonviolence is he burns his father's grave, which is like a double whammy. <laughs> Yeah. Trigger because A, it's his father's grave where he died, which he knows about because of the psychic connection. Yeah. And then it's also fire, which, as we've talked about, especially in the Jean episode, Jean has had a fear of fire, a phobia of fire because of how his people burned. And then later on, Manchester makes Jean watch his children die in front of him all over again. And then it's interesting, he sort of makes a white Martian appear in front of him as like somewhere for him to direct the feelings that he's having and then takes it away. And then it's just Manchester standing there.
1: Yeah. And it actually was kind of reminiscent of the first time we saw Jean react to a white Martian in season one, only with the contrast of in that one, he froze and Alex got in front of him. And this time... He did not. Mm. To go back to another kind of topic that several characters talked about this season of acting versus not acting.
0: Yeah. And then we also see Manchester trick Jean into thinking that he's seeing Alex and Kara like zombies and they're dead and they're not happy with him. <laughs> he's using Jean's love for them and and fear that something bad would happen to them the same way it did to his daughters on Mars against him to basically traumatize him into behaving the way he wants him to. And we see it really reinforces this idea that Jean's family can be one of his greatest weaknesses in terms of morality.
1: Mm, Gee, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree on that one. (laughs) Alex.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So at the same time as he's like re-experiencing as viscerally as he can the loss of his first family on Mars. He's now envisioning the loss of his second family, and Manchester is a threat to that family.
1: Yeah, and I really liked the way that was staged. Number one, the makeup on Zombie Kara and Zombie Alex was really cool, especially the creepy eyes. Mm -hmm. It might have been CGI, actually. It might have been, but it did look really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) The way that they chose to stage it was very cool when... As we were talking about it, I realized that it's actually a reversal of the blocking in the scene from episode 115 where Jean and Alex are sparring and the scene ends with him having her in a chokehold like that and they're disagreeing over whether or not to tell Cara the truth about
0: what happened to Astra. Astra, who Alex killed. Yes. Speaking of the concept of whether or not to hurt someone or kill someone.
1: And also in defending one's family at yeah. any length necessary. <laughs> <laughs> but so remembering that, it actually was very fitting that Alex was the one who was much more in his face and kind of literally at his throat. Mm. It also makes more sense because they have a longer history together and she much more openly acknowledges that he's like a father to her. Mm-hmm. And this was really playing on his fear as a parental figure of losing them in the same way that he lost his daughters on Mars. Yeah, So that was well set up. And worked nicely with kind of things we've already seen before
0: with all of these characters. Mm -hmm. Really building upon the characterization that we've seen and and making it more intense. (laughs) That's one way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) And then when Kara sort of snaps him out of it, he reflects upon it and says, is choosing the path of peace worth it if it means I could lose everyone I care about? Which is interesting because he expressed a similar kind of sentiment to young Kara in Midvale in the flashback Mm. and reminded her that she could lose everything all over again if she sort of pursued using her powers and becoming a superhero and exposing herself in that way. So
1: that's clearly his deepest fear that was instilled in him
0: mm. by being the lone survivor of a genocide. And then another sort of connection back to conversations he's had with Kara, as we talked about in the last episode, actually, back in season three, when Kara was upset about not being able to go out and fight rain. He says there's great power in being the calm in the center of the storm. The sort of undead Alex kind of offers the counter argument to that concept. Which, again, she would. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) she says you just sat there and you waited and you prayed so sort of this back and forth between acting and waiting and jean expresses how afraid he is that he's not protecting his family and he's afraid that he needs to act in order to protect them when in fact he's presently not with his family when they really need him a concept that we'll also see again with car and alex
1: yeah and it's funny that you say that because i was noticing that we haven't had as many seats of him with Kara and Alex together Mm -hmm. outside of crises lately, which has been sad. But it kind of reinforces this point about, is he actually there in the places he needs to be at the moments
0: he needs to be? An issue that Kara was
1: also dealing with in this episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you had the observation that they haven't had like space fam dinners lately? No. Which is sad but fitting toward the beginning of the season we talked about how nice it was that everyone was together Mm -hmm. all the time and and how it would probably be a nice counterpoint to later on in the season when things start to get more intense and possibly people will be separated and here we have it come to fruition (laughs) they've been setting us up for a fall in more ways than one (laughs) But of course, though Manchester is using Jean's fears about protecting his family against him, his connections to his family are also his strength. Which is such a Harry Potter message. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And we also had the really great moment where Kara snaps Jean out of his vision of undead Kara and Alex kind of attacking him and saying she was here. And she specifically says, You're safe. It's fine. Which I've mentioned this before. There's been throughout the season an interesting contrast of showing both Kara and Jean when they're superheroing, telling other people that they are safe. And when Jean says it, it's not always totally accurate. (laughs) But they've been really clear and consistent thus far in the season of showing Kara when she tells somebody that they're safe, that she's there to protect them, that she means it and that they genuinely are safe. And she said the same thing here in this scene when she came and broke Jean out of the vision that he was having. So that was a very lovely moment. Also Mm -hmm. makes me a little worried about why they've been doing this all season long and what might be in store for us when we get to Cosme and Kara. And as we find out later,
0: whatever Lex has done to her. Hmm. Yeah, that was a nice moment. And I am anticipating Alex and Jean having some more scenes. I'm craving it because <laughs> it's been a little while. So It has, although I wonder how much of that is related
1: to him feeling overly responsible for mm. changing the family dynamic.
0: Hmm. Poor Jean, to be honest. Right? (laughs) The mind wiping, of course, being an example of Jean acting as opposed to not acting. And toward the end of the episode, we see Jean act in a big way to Mm. kill Manchester, presumably. We think.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And he doesn't feel any sense of peace, like internally, Mm. from having done that. He actually says to Kara that he no longer feels like he understands who he is other than that he's figured out who he isn't, hmm. which is that he can't be a man of
0: peace in the way that his father was. So we will have to see where Jean's arc proceeds to after this. Manchester looks like demolished by the
1: staff. And it left Brainy's ring behind mm-hmm. as a concrete object. So as far as we
0: know, it did happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For real. It wasn't just like another mental trick. Hmm. Although there are some hints from the actor on Twitter making me think that he'll come back and some form, possibly also with Marin, John's father. Back in the Comic-Con episode during the summer, we mentioned an interview that David Harewood gave, who plays Jean. He said that they were talking about bringing Carl Lumbly back in some form. And there was also an interview recently confirming that Marin does appear at some point. So perhaps we'll see sort of a spiritual representation of Marin and maybe Manchester will come back in that way. That would be interesting. Yeah. So Carl is there right after Jean- John kills Manchester and puts it together that he did so. But she says, I know you're trying to follow your father's code, but what happened today doesn't change who you're trying to be, which is sort of a forward thinking, like, what's next who are you going to be from now on frame of mind, as opposed to dwelling upon the fact that Jean messed up and killed someone. She's being really supportive. It's quite awesome. (laughs) Yes. And it's kind of similar to how she was when Lena told her that she tried to kill Edge. So Mm. she doesn't go like, well, that was bad. That's really messed up. She says, oh, okay, well, the good news is you didn't.
1: <laughs> Kara practices good reflective listening skills when she
0: needs to. <laughs> yes. But in neither of those cases does the person think that they did the right thing. Hmm. So Carr doesn't need to, like, lecture them on right and wrong so much as say, okay, well, we can handle what has happened already. And it's interesting for her character because she is really, like, stubborn in her thinking sometimes in terms of morality. Uh Uh-huh. And, like... What the right choices are in terms of the greater good, and she was like that with Jean earlier this season. But she's not like judgy in terms of like, oh, you did a bad thing. If she thinks that the person already knows that,
1: no, she's quite thoughtful about it.
0: Which I was like, oh, well, there was a time when she was mad at Jean in season one for killing for killing aunt Astra. her aunt. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like obviously something that might make someone angry, but it was also the fact that Jean made that choice and was number. One, he's a powered person and would have more of a capability of imprisoning Astra. In Kara's mind, she had no idea what was going on in that situation. but Still not convinced she really does. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, But she very likely figured it was a choice that Jean made, that he decided that it was better that Astra die than be imprisoned or whatever, as opposed to with Alex, where it was obviously a life or death situation.
1: Huh. Well, it's funny that you brought that up because we didn't initially plan out that example, but that mental image of... Kara having to say goodbye to Astra as she's dying is kind of reminiscent to like the panicked look on her face in this episode when she gets to Catco and finds James like
0: bleeding on the ground in the middle of the night. Yeah. She's like, the last time I walked up to someone bleeding on the ground, they died after that. And it was a loved one. So.
1: Yeah. So
0: that that takes us to Kara. And Trauma that Kara deals with on a regular basis. Yes. And how she reacts to this sort of traumatic situation of James's life being in danger. She's the one who finds James like in the middle of the night is woken up. But it's noteworthy that she arrived on the scene after the violence had occurred and it was too late for her to do anything mm. to help him other than, you know, take him to the hospital, which makes later on that recognition that Supergirl saved James nice nice. So, Cara spends the episode not at the hospital, but with John looking for Manchester. Meanwhile, Alex is like, Where the hell are you? And this sort of ties back into Kara's trauma, some formative trauma for her. She says to Jean after what happened on Krypton, the way my mom stood by and did nothing, I've always sworn that if I can act, I will. This idea, of course, that her mother was unable to save Krypton looms over her. But then there's also the fact that Kara was powerless and a kid when her planet died.
1: Wait, do you mean powerless in a literal or a figurative (laughs) sense? (laughs) I meant it in a figurative sense, but... That's why I was like, wait.
0: That's hilarious. (laughs) Um, That's an excellent pun, but did you mean it that way? (laughs) But she's powerless to save her planet when her planet could have been saved through just taking care of it better. Relatable. (laughs) And this happened, you know, her planet was destroyed. And she physically saw it explode in front of her eyeballs. Yes. A revelation that we had in season three. And this happened just as she was tasked to take care of her baby cousin and also told, like, be extraordinary. (laughs) So she has this sense of like needing to have agency and fix things. And we see this for her character across the seasons and like Mm -hmm. so many situations. And sometimes it's (laughs) questionable. Even (laughs) we always have the example of cat. Oh, yeah. When in season one, she saw the cat kept throwing out the notes that she was writing to her estranged son. And she wrote a letter for her to get them. I <laughs> no. know. You're like, Kara, Kara, that's fraud. <laughs> and she talks to Alex and says, like, I can't help it. I see someone who's like suffering and I have to help them. And in season one, we saw her sort of struggle with this idea of acting or waiting in the Myriad situation where Maxwell Lord wanted to save them from Non and Indigo, the mind control situation, through a kryptonite disperser that would kill a percentage of the population of National City. And so Kara's like, oh, I have to act to fix this, but my only option is really terrible. (laughs) And she reflects upon the same thing. She says, my mother was faced with the decision on Krypton to act or do nothing, and she chose wrong. That's a moment where Kara very clearly is judging decisions of someone else. (laughs) Yes. And in season three, we see this used as sort of a coping mechanism, Mm. the need to act when she is depressed about...
1: Possibly having killed (laughs) Monel.
0: Yeah. And she buries herself in Supergirl activities and, and helping people all day, every day. And, you know, reporting isn't straightforward enough where she can have immediate help and act in a more tangible way. So she tries to discard that. And Alex says in this episode later on, if you just keep running, then you don't have to stop and feel how much you're hurting. And it's
1: a rephrase of something Kelly says about James. Hmm. But as Alex is saying it, You can kind of see her thinking, like, maybe that's what Kara's doing.
0: Yeah. And then Kara walks in and is like, sounds familiar. (laughs) Relatable. Uh, (laughs) Well, (laughs) this is why she and James are friends. Uh. (laughs) But then she comes to the revelation that being there for someone is an action. Mm. And she does this in trying to help Jean, which is not unfamiliar for this character. She often learns lessons through trying to figure it out for other people. Mm. So that was nice. And she says to Jean, the only reason Alex and I can face the danger the way we do is because we know you're standing by us in whatever way you choose, which is an important part because as we talked about with Kara, she has very strong opinions about what people should be doing. How
1: people should do their lives, (laughs) which this uh, very clear opinion on how you should handle your relationships with other people is a a trait that Danvers sisters share and that Alex had on full display.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting because with Cara, it's more moral, yeah. like outward stuff that she's very like, no, this is the right way. And then with Alex, it's very like personal and like interpersonal. Yes. Relationships. It's very,
1: very specific to the way that you should manage your interpersonal relationships. And we see it come out a lot over Alex feeling like Kara is not appropriately demonstrating that she cares about family. Yeah. Which is interesting because Kara herself has such a strong sense of like family being important but mm-hmm. they she shows it in a different way mm-hmm. and <laughs> that's not okay no. <laughs> <laughs> according to Alex it's not <laughs> so they have a conflict in this episode over the ways that Kara in Alex's eyes does not support James mm. Mm-hmm. While he's in the hospital. And it was curiously reminiscent of Alex losing her temper in very much the same way mm-hmm. during season two when she felt like Kara wasn't being supportive about Jeremiah. Because she, in her eyes, she saw Kara choosing Monel and agreeing with him over supporting her own family and not being loyal to them in the way that Alex is kind of always like 100% on Kara's side Mm. if she needs to be. And so that colors her read on some of the sibling dynamics with Kara very strongly. And anytime that Kara kind of deviates, (laughs) they end up having a lot of tension with each other until they can talk it out.
0: It's always very interesting. (laughs) It is. Yeah. She may have been More understanding of Kara's decision here had she had uh, access to the full encyclopedia of Kara Zor-El Danvers' Supergirl knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Possibly. I mean, it could have gone sort of similarly. She might have
1: been like marginally more tactful, but she probably would have still had the same opinion because she manages to punch the same buttons. Hmm. That's In true. terms of hitting car where it hurts, <laughs> yeah. even without totally remembering like the pointed, you know, you may never get the chance to say goodbye. I was like, That that hurt me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like that punched through cars heart into mine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But And it's interesting because Alex doesn't remember that Kara is Supergirl, but this is the way that Alex can hurt Kara. Mm. And we've seen it come up in multiple seasons. The times that she gets through in like a negative way, it's always very, it's verbal and it pulls on Kara's emotions because Alex can't physically hurt her. Like if they got into a fight like normal siblings. But it's extra cruel actually to go back to what we mentioned about it being kind of like Kara finding James was kind of like when she showed up to see Astrid dying. Hmm.
0: Yeah, we know that saying goodbye is sort of a point of importance for Kara. She says in season one, I didn't say the things that need to be said when I left Krypton and I wanted to make sure that I said them now. This was when she was sort of going through her goodbye tour and she thought she was like going on a suicide mission. Yeah. Yeah, and then (laughs) she couldn't say goodbye to Alex because she feared that if she did, she would never leave and it's sort of interesting that she feared this sort of goodbye, like, emotional connection would prevent her from acting. And we see that same situation here where being there with James and if the situation arises, saying goodbye to him would prevent her from being out and looking for Manchester and acting. But as we discuss, she comes to the revelation that being there for someone is acting and important, especially to Alex.
1: Yeah. And there was a nice reinforcement in this episode of this idea that came up repeatedly in season three that justifies kind of why Alex went through with the mind wipe in some ways. Because she said multiple times that Kara is the most important person to her. Not Supergirl, but Kara, her sister. Mm -hmm. And that was very obvious in this episode. She was like, you know, we need you here. I need you here. And she even makes that point. She's saying, you know, James could die and you just left me here alone to deal with all of that. And I'm upset too. And so are you. What are you doing? <laughs> and Cara left Lena there too. And also Brainy, who apparently hangs out with James and Nia. And she doesn't even know that James's sister is there. So from Alex's side of things, it does look like Cara really is kind of saying that she doesn't care.
0: <laughs> But in the sense of it being specific to Alex and and her... Mm needing Kara for emotional support it reminds me of the scene in season 2 when Kara was talking about how she might go and leave and live with Clark from now on and Alex is like uh <laughs> what about me <laughs> yeah it hurts her feelings yeah and it has that kind of same flavor of anger where she like kind of lashes out because Kara is not performing her sort of familial duties <laughs> in the way that Alex would expect her to and also is like hurting Alex
1: <laughs> yeah and then the way that that wraps up is Alex kind of comes to this realization that this is Kara trying to cope but Kara also comes to the realization that, you know, she's been kind of also dealing with this loss of Alex's support in some ways, but that the way that she words her her sentence to Alex is very curious in light of that. And she says, you know, being here with you isn't nothing, even though there's a part of that relationship that's missing. She's like, no, this is really mm. everything to like, it's important to me and I should be here. Yeah.
0: And what's interesting about that is that Kara... Comes to this revelation that she is like avoiding being there and and funneling everything into doing something. And I don't know that she would have had the opportunity to if Alex knew that Kara was Supergirl, because Mm. being Supergirl is a really good excuse. Yeah. If she had been able to fall back upon that.
1: Well, Alex would have let her.
0: Alex would have let her, and Kara might not have had the sort of internal recognition that that was a problem and that she was doing that.
1: Yeah. And then the other kind of Amusing, but not part part of that scene. First of all, the way that both Kelly and Jean gracefully excused themselves (laughs) was very entertaining in order to let Alex and Kara kind of air their grievances with each other. But it was also interesting the way that they both described what it feels like to be helpless. Mm -hmm. Because the words they chose to describe it mirrored each other, but Cara's was like more extreme (laughs) Yeah. Alex said, you know, feeling helpless is scary. Kara goes, yeah, it's terrifying, <laughs> which is curious in that I'd almost expect it to be the reverse hmm. because Alex tends to outwardly panic more when there's something that she can't
0: control. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking in terms of what we talked about with Kara and like. Yeah. No, I'm. it makes sense for Kara. How her worst fear <laughs> is like <laughs> not being able to save. Save people. Want you know. Yeah. <laughs> Kara's like, I'm about this one thing which is helping people (laughs) and if I can't do it but yeah it made sense to me
1: no it does make sense it was just really funny because I was like this is to quote alex in season three this is why they're both the ways they are um, <laughs> neither one of them likes to feel helpless or vulnerable and they go about it in different ways mm-hmm. to kind of cope but it's also why they get along so well <laughs> their need <laughs> to not feel that feeling complements each
0: other <laughs> and then it, it's also interesting because alex had that exchange with supergirl where she thought that Supergirl couldn't be vulnerable and couldn't feel helpless or powerless, you know? Uh Uh-huh. That's a nice uh, continuity. And we also see Alex in this episode try to act in her own way Mm -hmm. with lena and the rnl serum
1: yeah that was i've gotten a couple questions about this on my blog someone was like can you please explain what happened there because i think it was in character but i'm not sure like (laughs) and it was really funny as i was watching it i kept being like alex what are you doing and i was like no that checks you would do that (laughs) Um, it's Alex, when confronted by an extreme situation where she feels like she doesn't have a lot of time or a lot of options, will think through to, like, any and all available choices that can get her the outcome that she wants And this is a trait one can admire, (laughs) but in this case, it was a little bit inadvertently playing into the Lex Luthor scheme, Mm. which if Alex knew that, she would hate with a passion. Yeah, Um, well, she
0: might find out.
1: (laughs) She might find out. But essentially, this was Alex, you know, being very worried about James. She's accepted James into her life as (laughs) Vam, and she knows that there is a potential way to save him that won't totally harm his quality of life or his ability to survive this very horrible gunshot wound. Mm -hmm. And the important thing too, is that she's not thinking about it in the sense of the superpowers. She's aware of the healing properties of it and, Obviously, as someone who has medical background is like, hey, Lena, you have this thing. Why
0: don't you try harder? Because that's how science works. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it's funny because Alex as a character is always like her determination is what wins out.
1: Yes. We always <laughs> make jokes about that, that meme of like the angry sparrow. Um <laughs> the bird that keeps itself in the air by sheer force of will. Yeah. Yeah. That is Alex, like 110%. She is convinced that just mental toughness will get you through. And for her, it is
0: pretty true most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. That's why, you know, she's in all these situations with aliens and like ends up defeating... some of them and
1: opponents that she really by all rights should not be capable
0: of defeating like i'm impressed (laughs) um (laughs) all the martians are also impressed. (laughs) so alex has her very like not only is she really stressed out (laughs) and you know there's a reason that you're not the doctor of your family members (laughs) yeah you shouldn't be season three um (laughs) yeah meanwhile alex is (laughs) like
1: let's intubate my sister this is fine
0: you <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, Alex is Supergirl's doctor, but possibly not anymore. <laughs> uh, we might get a chance. So don't get in any trouble. We might get a chance to find out. <laughs> <laughs> mm. And in terms of uh, Alex's characterization and the choices that she's making, Alex wouldn't really have the same wariness that she might regarding Lena. Not because like, Lena's a Luther necessarily, but there's a lot of complicated history with Lena and Supergirl at the moment. And Lena's using, you know, Harnell, which is Kryptonian rock that Alex ordinarily would know she shouldn't have. Yeah. And that Korra entrusted it with her and she ended up using it to join the, you know, fight against aliens. So that element isn't there in that dynamic. And it kind of opens up Alex to being able to trust Lena more than she might in other circumstances. Mm.
1: Well, it kind of builds on like we've talked about how Alex very much throws down for the people she deems like her people. Mm. And even going back to the Luther's episode in season two, because Kara was so adamant in her belief of Lena, Alex actually did stay silent and respect Kara's Mm. opinion despite the wariness that she had and has had for a
0: while. Which is funny because that's not something Kara would have done.
1: (laughs) No, it is not something Kara would have done in the reverse. And that's one of the reasons Alex gets mad at her sometimes. (laughs) Um, And so here, it's really a magnification of that, of taking out Alex's awareness of maybe some of the things that Lena's done that have negatively affected Supergirl, even if that wasn't Lena's intention, which in many cases it wasn't. mm -hmm. And without that, she's like, you're Kara's friend. You're also my friend. Therefore, I shall, you know, support you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which is quite refreshingly honest, (laughs) as opposed to uh, most of the people
0: Lena is used to dealing with <laughs> Yeah. This episode, we saw the introduction of Lex Luthor, adult Lex Luthor. Lex, who is Lena's brother. This episode featured three pairs of siblings, obviously the Danvers sisters of the Luthers and the Olsons, which is something that we've kind of been tracking mm. throughout the season, their usage of siblings.
1: It was funny because I think when I initially pointed this out, it was when they introduced the Graves siblings as another <laughs> kind of foil to Kara and Alex, but also to show in some ways that no matter how unscrupulous siblings may be as people, mm. the Graves siblings did still kind of have each other's back <laughs> in the same way that Carr and Alex do. And that was funny because we also had like sibling pair 3.5, which was <laughs> we got the reveal that Otis Graves is somehow still alive, which then makes me wonder what happened to Mercy. Mm. And um, they're also still here as a contrasting sibling dynamic. So yeah. this has been a very intentionally
0: planted seed all season long. And it's kind of interesting because we have the Danvers sisters who start off the episode sort of separate and there's a bit of strife there and then come together. The Luthers have a tentative partnership. A truce. (laughs) (laughs) An entente, if you will. At the beginning of the episode, and then by the end, there's that twist of betrayal. The stab in the back for the Ides of March. <laughs> ha. They should have referenced that. This would be a good time. That
1: would have been funny <sighs> since uh, we had so many classical references coming out of Lex. Yeah, the
0: Luthers across various iterations, comics, movies... Smallville, have the tendency to sort of reference historical figures, mythological stories. We've talked about in the podcast, I think in the Mother's episode, the Luthers and their connection to Greek mythology, Mm -hmm. which has been very prevalent in this series. And we saw in this episode, Alexander the Great's sarcophagus in the background of the opening scene when Lex is sort of taunting Lena about the Red Sun, Alexander the Great being a Greek figure. And apparently we'll find out in the next episode that Lex is named after Alexander the Great. I'm sure we'll have some interesting insight regarding that. And I'm sure he too will have some insight regarding that
1: because (laughs) he likes to talk about himself. (laughs) He sure does. And how great he is. Which is an amusing contrast to our other character whose name is a similar Greek root, which we talked about this in a previous podcast episode. Alex's name Mm -hmm. also comes from that same Greek, Alexandros. And both of these names mean like a protector or defender and frequently the name Alexander specifically is translated as the defender of mankind mm. which uh, sure fits Lex's agenda <laughs> but it is very funny because they're both these very strong very opinionated personalities and I described it as I'd like to see that because it would be like unstoppable force meets immovable object <laughs> yes. and I'm not sure who would win but it would be amazing to watch my money's on Alex <laughs> mine is too Just because she wouldn't fall for his manipulative, emotional crap. And she has fam. And she probably also knows how to fight better than him. (laughs) All oh, vital things Although who knows he What he can powers. do now Yeah, we don't know <laughs> um, I'm still waiting for Jimmy To turn out to be Turtle Boy uh. <laughs> <laughs> And to go back to Like the sibling analogy With how the Luther siblings Have always been In the background As a foil to the Danvers Particularly with Lex and Alex Both being like The older siblings And there being mm. A sort of adoptive Younger sibling dynamic With Kara and Lena It is intriguing That the elder siblings Have these similar Personality traits That manifest in extraordinary Extremely different ways. It made it that much more fascinating to kind of look at Lex and his dynamic with Lena Mm -hmm.
0: in this episode. He mentions how he was made to say, I do not like myself. We see Lex talk about how he was made to say, I do not like myself in Latin, referencing salutati. And then you enjoyed Lena's reaction to that. (laughs)
1: Yes. Lena Lena was definitely on guard as much as she possibly could be but her just sarcastic disdain was so very Lillian <laughs> in those early conversations and it was great to see mm-hmm just and how she was like, I'm not impressed. (laughs) Yeah, she just like (laughs) says the Latin effortlessly. Yeah. And so Lex continues in this very old school academic demonstration of brilliance (laughs) that people don't really put a lot of stock in anymore because it's just pretentious and obnoxious. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
1: And one of the other quotes that he mentions is by a Greek philosopher named Epicurus. And Lex says the English translation, which is, Against other things, it is possible to obtain security. But when it comes to death, we human beings all live in an unwalled city. And he says this very dramatically. And my first thought was that this is so very like Voldemort's obsession with his horcruxes in the Harry Potter series. Mm. And the part about this that was intriguing is that Lex is understanding this as we don't have any protection against death. Like that's his fear. And that's what Lena reads as his concern, like that he's here because he doesn't want to die. But the actual philosophy behind it is actually that in order to conquer death, so to speak, people need to recognize that it is inevitable for everyone. And because of that, it isn't worth being afraid of, Mm. which is kind of the opposite. of all of the reasons that Lex is doing a lot of what he's doing in this episode. The other intriguing thing that came up when looking at Epicurus and what his philosophy was because Lena is quite disdainful again of Lex spouting off these like little Greek philosophy quotes like he's that freshman who took one class and thinks (laughs) that they're like wise to the world now Mm -hmm. is that the understanding of ethics that comes out of this philosopher is that while your personal feelings about what's right and wrong should drive your decisions. Epicurus also believed that the way to achieve satisfaction in life required living, as it was quoted in English, sensibly, nobly, and justly. Definitely not things that Lex Luther believes in. Not quite his values.
0: (laughs) I mean, maybe according to
1: him, he's living (laughs) by those principles, but not by
0: the standards of society at large. If you consider yourself God, then anything you do is (laughs) sensible, noble, and just. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And so we've had a few characters throw around the idea of the God complex both this season and last season. Mm -hmm. And we've also seen Manchester as a human character kind of meddling in these spiritual affairs or the affairs of other human beings in a rather God-like way in some cases. Again, with characters who are very taken by their own use of language. Hmm. And we see a lot of language coming from Lex in this episode that is related to him thinking that he is above all other people and kind of his own moral authority in the way that you might have seen in like a monarch who believes they get their power from God or an actual God. When he's in that staged moment where he's laying on the ground to play for Lena's sympathy, he actually paraphrases a quote from the New Testament in the Bible during the crucifixion of Jesus saying, don't blame him. He knows not what he does with himself in the role of Jesus Christ. You know, as the the martyr yeah. who's
0: being sacrificed yeah. for the good of humanity. He did literally put himself in that, like, oh no, I'm being attacked needlessly position.
1: Yeah. And it also dovetails nicely with Lena's comment to Eve that Lex can't imagine the world without himself in mm-hmm. it because he's so taken with his own importance. And that's reinforced throughout the episode with Lex saying, like, it's my duty to make people see clearly that the Supers are not these inv- invincible or godlike figures, they can fall. And in his mind, they deserve to, I guess, for having things he doesn't or something. (laughs) And Lena brings it up again when she's kind of being critical of Lex and his motives and says, this is all about your ego, isn't it? And he's like, no, it's for science and then proceeds to make it about himself.
0: (laughs) He is science. Didn't you know? He is the embodiment
1: (laughs) He's the man of tomorrow. That's the Uh, embodiment of science. hmm. There we go. We figured it out. (laughs) We've cracked the code. (laughs) And then also to tie it back to kind of my comment before on how... He's kind of got this mentality very similar to Voldemort from the Harry Potter series in a very similar way. And I think this is typical of a lot of these sort of villain characters for reasons that you will get into in a minute. Hmm. He underestimates the value of what he calls sentimentality in motivating people to do great or positive things. Hmm. Going back also to his fascination with Alexander the Great, Hmm. who is known for being a military victor, but also a leader in a way that Lex doesn't seem too concerned with other people. (laughs) No, he doesn't.
0: (laughs) No. And there are reasons for that.
1: Talk about Lex and his psychology, please, cycles. (laughs) I would love to. Because when I read your notes, I got really excited
0: about this. So let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was excited to see Lex and Lena and hopefully, you know, Lillian and their dynamic, their family dynamic, because Mm. I find the Luthers and their psychology very interesting. As we talked about in the Mother's episode, I think Lillian is a narcissist as in narcissistic personality disorder. And so I wanted to see how Lillian is the matriarch of the family, how her influence sort of rippled throughout the siblings and we've seen with Lena how it has appeared in, in her psychology and now we get to see with Lex and to see that sibling interaction. So Lex has his own trauma and he talks about it extensively <laughs> in this episode. He says, but mother insisted I go on a business trip with father. She thought I was being too sentimental in reference to him wanting to be with his pet dog.
1: Speaking of being
0: there to support people when you need them. Mm. And Alina's response to that is, no wonder you became a sociopath. (laughs) She's so calm when she says it too. (laughs) Yeah. And it does sort of track in terms of like nature versus nurture and and Lex's experiences, his formative experiences, making him into the man that he is now, a sociopath. Because for instance, a psychopath who displays a similar lack of empathy, like a self-centeredness, an ability to sort of connect to people authentically is born versus a sociopath who is made. So you would raise a sociopath or a sociopath would become a sociopath through their experiences or their trauma traumas. Um, And Lex being raised by someone with narcissistic personality disorder tracks because people who are sociopaths often have parents who display similar sort of antisocial traits. And he's really preoccupied with Lillian in the episode. So we can see that she made her mark on his psyche. Mm -hmm. As we mentioned, he talked about how she specifically prevented him from being with the dog. Physically flew him to another country. (laughs) Yeah. So feeling that sort of empathy was really discouraged. <laughs> and then with the painting of Lillian, he says, have you ever noticed that her eyes follow you everywhere? Which is, you know, a re- remark about the creepiness of the painting, but also about how he himself kind of feels her eyes on him in a way. He's concerned about what she would think about Lena and himself working to save James Olsen. Mm. And then eventually at the end of the episode, he actually carves the eyes out of the painting, which was not something. I picked up on my first watch and is rather creepy. Meanwhile, I noticed it on my second watch and I was like, ha, that's awesome. (laughs) There are two kinds of people. So it was interesting to see Lex and and how the trauma of his childhood is reflected in who he is now in terms of Lex being the golden child in that family dynamic. So when you hear the term golden child, you think like the chosen one, the one who got everything nice and, and the one the parent liked the most. And the one who is praised. Yeah. And in some ways that may be true, but that does not mean that they were not still abused.
1: Well, and it doesn't also mean that that attention was all positive mm.
0: or like to a positive end. Yes. For instance, let's say a parent pays the golden child a lot of attention. They may also become too enmeshed in their lives and maybe overshare emotionally and rely upon the golden child. Mm. Just as a stray example of how something that seems like it would be a positive thing for maybe the more neglected child is not necessarily something that's good for the golden child and maybe another form of abuse. So getting back to the man that Lex is now, as Lena says, he is a sociopath, which is now called antisocial personality disorder. And there are obviously traits that one must have in order to be sort of classified as someone with antisocial personality disorder. One of them is lack of empathy. We see that Lex very casually kills people. The quote that you mentioned earlier when he says, I don't blame him, he's obviously faking that he isn't actually empathizing with the guard because it's all a ruse. And then another trait is egocentrism. Often seen in toddlers, but usually people grow out of it. (laughs) Yes, but not all no. Lex throws a kind of tantrum in a way, <laughs> displaying his egocentrism. He says, I was the man of tomorrow, not him, not him specifically being angry that Superman has like pulled attention away from him in some way yeah has taken his role that he believes is owed to him as the savior of society yes (laughs) it reminds me a lot of like someone who's in a position of privilege and expects that they're going to have it easy or have a job or whatever and then someone an immigrant comes in right (laughs) And then another trait is disinhibition, which is like maybe being impulsive and acting without care for things that you should care about, like people's lives, people's (laughs) lives, staying alive yourself. (laughs) When Lena points out the fact that the world can't live under a red sun and that like millions of people will die, he doesn't even consider like maybe that one of those people will be me. He's like tunnel visioned (laughs) on neither can Superman live.
1: Which confused me because Krypton had a red sun, so while (laughs) Superman might not have powers, he would, in fact, still be alive.
0: I wonder if Lex Uh. either doesn't know that, which would be hilarious.
1: (laughs) I was like, that would also be a really cruel punishment to, like, kill everyone else on Earth and leave... Kalel as like the king of yet another dead planet. Oh my God. <laughs> that would be
0: like extra level cruel, and it wasn't clear if that was the reason, but. <laughs> I sometimes theorize about what would really be terrible for Kara, and that's one of the <laughs> scenarios. So that's, yeah, I was like, that would be worse, possibly. (laughs) Yeah. Whether that was intended, it was unclear, but. Or maybe he was just also planning to kill him. (laughs) Oh, true. Get (laughs) him vulnerable and then you can kill him. Yes. Although he was, like, I think arrested immediately afterwards.
1: Yes, he was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, but who cares, you know? And then also, in terms of disinhibition, he poisoned himself with kryptonite because he was trying to use it to kill Superman, which is actually what happens in the comics. He gets cancer in an iteration because of kryptonite exposure over time. Hmm. And then, obviously, we have antagonism, which has a couple traits that align with it. Deceitfulness, quite clearly, we see with Lex. (laughs) Callousness, hostility, and then manipulativeness, which is Lex's favorite tool in (laughs) in his toolbox of sociopathic traits this episode. He spends pretty much all of his time on screen up until the end actively manipulating Lena, which is another sort of traumatic thing for Lena now to undergo.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's also kind of interesting in contrast to what I mentioned before about how in terms of the Danvers sisters, when Alex is really looking to get under Kara's skin or kind of hurt her, she will be passive-aggressive and kind of emotionally manipulative
0: too. Mm, Yeah, there are lines though. There are lines, (laughs) yes. 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 So Lex is criticizing her as they're working together on the R&L serum. And she goes, are you going to taunt and provoke me the entire time? And he says, this is how we've worked together ever since we were kids. So this is something that goes back into their childhood. And he talks about how he used that as a tool to motivate her. And so he was manipulating her even then. But it's also a great excuse for treating someone badly. Like, this is for your benefit, which is... A
1: thing people who are abusers will say. Yeah. But it is interesting, though, because we've talked before about Lena and kind of how she gets her sense of what's objectively good or bad. He brings up the point that Lena has always been defiant, but she needs something to defy. Hmm. And that's very much been a part of her character in like wanting to prove that she's not like the rest of the Luthers or change the
0: reputation of Elcorp and stuff like that. Yeah, which kind of plays into her role that she has played in the family. She was always the one who was different. Yeah. And that's kind of the only option that she would really have of engaging while retaining some of her agency. And Yeah.
1: So it's possible at some point in his youth that Lex genuinely felt affection or some other pro-social emotion towards Lena, but we really only have Lena's read of that as a very young child to base that off of. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to know. And it becomes very clear throughout this episode that none of that's real. And he's just playing on how well he knows her and her inherent sense of wanting to be good in order to get her to do what he wants.
0: Yeah, he, he specifically plays upon what he knows that she wants to hear. He says, I want you to know with certainty that while I came from poison, you came from love and if the rest of this family stands steadily in the darkness you will always fall into the light clearly telling her exactly what her deepest hope is we've talked about Lena as a character and what motivates her and it's always trying to sort of scratch out that innate fear that she has that she is a bad person so this is the best possible thing anyone could ever say to her and it's also interesting because he in his manipulative scenario where he sort of stages his various players, kind of like a game of chess which they Mm -hmm. played as children. He stages it like the guard, who turns out to be Otis, attacked him for no reason, that that guard is just a jerk, which put Lena in a position where she could swoop in and be the hero, Mm. empathize with Lex, and do the right thing and help him. And another thing that he plays upon that he knows Lena would want to hear is validation and like positive regard. He says, you always wowed me, always. I'm proud of you.
1: And, yeah, he's trying to make it seem like he knows he's dying and he wants to, like, for once in his life say the things that he (laughs) should say. Kind of going back to how Kara has this thing about, like, needing to make sure people hear Mm. all of the things and, like, they forgive each other in case they're going to die. But for completely not wholesome reasons. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) And poor Lena, because every (laughs) really every time anybody tells her
0: something nice, it's because they're secretly trying to get her to do something terrible. Yeah. And we see in season two with Lillian, Lena says that she knows that she's lying because she told her that she loves her.
1: So apparently that's one way that the Luther and Danvers family are very different from each other. (laughs) Yes. Uh,
0: It is funny that he says that specific phrase, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Because that's a Danvers sisters positive. Yes, actually. Association there. And then you pointed out that Raya in season two manipulated Lena the same way. Yeah, by kind of
1: flattering her intellectual capabilities and her ability to problem Mm. solve. And she was giving her mentor like encouragement and saying she was proud of the work she was doing.
0: Yeah. And she also talked about how she's unlike like the other Luthers, that she was wrong to think that she would judge her for being an alien, playing upon her need to be good as well. So that was an effective tactic for Lena. Poor Lena, who it's like, yes, she keeps falling for it, but also she should keep falling for it because otherwise it's like she wouldn't trust anybody.
1: Yeah. In some ways, it's actually a good sign. It's kind of like how Kara keeps insisting that you need to believe that there's good in people. Mm, Yes. Which is why they're friends. (laughs) So Lex
0: tries to manipulate her and succeeds. Admirably. (laughs) Well, maybe not admirably, but he (laughs) succeeds exceptionally well. And then another antisocial personality disorder trait is the incapacity for mutually intimate relationships as exploitation is a primary means of relating to others. So basically, they don't have deep interpersonal relationships where they really connect to the other person because their primary mode of relating to someone else is by exploiting them which he does with Lena. And after he validates Lena and makes her feel like she's a good person, he says, the sentimentality will kill me faster than the cancer, which is probably the most honest thing he'd said in the episode. (laughs) Probably, yeah. (laughs) And it's also interesting in terms of healthy interpersonal relationships, because he's perfectly fine using Lena, but Being helped is a very different feeling, and he does not like that. He says he's not used to it, and he says it's weak, pathetic. I'm pathetic. It's weak, also
1: possibly one of the few honest opinions that he shares in the entire episode. (laughs)
0: Yes. And this is quite the contrast (laughs) with Kara and how the space fam functions and and how they help each other all the time. Right at the beginning of the series, in Season 1, Episode 2, Kara says, Growing up, I was taught that to accept help from people is not a shame, it's an honor. That's when she introduces the concept of El Mayara, Stronger Together. And you notice that During the course of Alex and Lena's quote unquote working relationship, there was something resonant in a real life kind of way.
1: Yeah. So this actually came up in the first podcast we did talking about science in Supergirl, I think Ultranos brought it up talking about the way you see certain kinds of sexism and gender dynamics at play within the STEM fields because you have Lex being intentionally very dismissive of Lena and Lena's contributions to her own success and kind of belittling her and Lena turns to him incredulously and is like, are you actually trying to take credit for me by saying that I could never have gotten here if you hadn't been an asshole. (laughs) And that's such a thing that women run into in any field, but in particular in that field, which is very male dominated in the sense of you do feel like you're being talked over or walked over or other people are trying to take credit for your achievements. Mm. So that was cool to see that kind of subtly woven into there. And then the other thing, which makes me think maybe someone listened to uh, poor Anivo's (laughs) stressed ranting about medical ethics and experimentation, because Lena snuck in a mention of the fact that she apparently did do animal trials before (laughs) she moved on to um, Adam. So thanks for that. (laughs) Uh, And then to kind of wrap up the rest of poor Lena in this episode. She was like Jean, really put through the ringer, if you want to talk about in terms of like people being tested emotionally. Mm. And they were both the ones who were put in the position of making these really questionable choices Mm. simultaneously at the end. We did also see the reveal that she was, like she's talked before about how she was there for Lex going mad, as she put it, Mm -hmm. before she came into the show in season two. But we found out in this episode she was literally there. He had her handcuffed to the chair and he was putting her in front of the window and making her actually watch that destruction, kind of in the way that Kara in her pod had to watch Krypton explode, Hmm. which is interesting to think about. Hmm. But the other really important thing is that we see that unlike the other members of her family, Lena still feels guilty when she harms people. And that is an important
0: distinction and a very good sign. How not to have antisocial personality disorder.
1: Yeah. And it's reassuring in the context of where we've seen Lena seemingly moving into this kind of morally gray space in terms of her science. But the moment that she has one really powerful experience of feeling responsible for ending someone else's life, that deeply affects her willingness to move on and continue taking those risks. Mm In a way that to go back to Lex's dismissal of sentimentality makes him angry because he can't figure out how to push her to do what he wants because he's not totally aware of the fact that that happened. And he also doesn't think that it matters. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, we also saw Lena using her favorite method of coping with trauma periodically in this episode, which is by compartmentalizing everything to the most micro level <laughs> possible in order to stay focused. And much like we saw Kara try to be helpful and proactively contribute yes, while also not having to think about what is happening that might be upsetting. Which is not
0: helpful in the long term, as we've discussed before. No. <laughs> Something that Brainy in this episode figured out the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Poor Brainy. It was a nice little scene. It was. Yeah, the little boxes advice that Lena gave Brainy earlier in the season, which is sort of a way to visualize compartmentalization, came up again in this episode. Brainy mentioned it to her at the beginning of the episode to remind her to focus and try to get her to calm down to be able to help out. He says, little boxes, comrade.
1: Yes, that choice of comrade was very nice knowing that we're going
0: to start moving farther into the uh, red sun, Kara, next episode. Yeah, but there's a little emotional arc to this little boxes concept because we saw brainy get the advice from lena and then it was reintroduced and we were made aware that he's still using this concept and a scene with nia later on in the season and now we're seeing the boxes open <laughs> without <laughs> brainy wanting them to brainy and nia are both reflecting on james's attack and thinking that it's their fault because both of them are able to predict things, Brainy with calculus and Nia with her dreams. But they did not see James's attack coming and weren't able to prevent it.
1: Yeah. And that the scene took a turn that maybe we weren't quite expecting at first because all of the sudden, as you said, Brainy's kind of other emotional boxes crack open and you realize that the sense of helplessness that he's feeling is running much much deeper than just this thing with James that is mm-hmm. happening presently and part of it is because he's from the future and maybe in theory he should be expecting some of the bigger things that are happening but we find out he also feels responsible for Kara getting hurt earlier this season and then that turns into him kind of the homesickness that he's been putting a lid on this whole time and And how he's frustrated that he had to leave his own time and his friends and the people he considers his found family because of the AI plague that another brainiac ancestor of his had unleashed on the world. And then that turns into, very similarly to Lena, this frustration that every member of his family so to speak, is also evil. Mm-hmm. And this reconnects back to why he's been so upset about the loss of the Legion Ring, because in his eyes, that was somebody validating, you know, much like Lena's been seeking all this validation. It was somebody giving him a vote of confidence and saying, no, yes, you
0: really are a force for good and you can do good things. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting that Lena was the one to give him that advice. But Brady has been using some interesting sources for mental health advice. It's an eclectic mix of sources. <laughs> yes. With Lena... Obviously, she said that metaphor about the boxes once, and then he really stuck with it. And then, when he talks about Manel in that sort of rush of information that he gave about all the things that he was upset about, deep down, he said that he was always a bit dismissive. And then says, "Microaggressions are their own form of trauma," which sounds like a direct quote from something he read.
1: Yeah, it's a legitimate statement that is
0: very relevant. But yeah, it does sound like he's quoting something. He's not wrong. It's but it does sound like this is something that he learned during his sort of self-education in trying to have strong mental health. And then he also quotes a movie. He says, Relationships based on intense experiences never work, which is a quote from Speed, the movie with Keanu Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) And he acts like it's like sage advice and takes it very seriously.
1: Which delighted me because that was intentionally there to poke fun at the way Lex was quoting Epicurus (laughs) and the other ancient philosophers. Because to Brainy, quoting Keanu Reeves is a thousand-year-old profound (laughs) quote. Much like Lex thinks he's quoting these thousand-year-old profound quotes. And you see Nia as someone who's contemporary to that material being like, the wise man is this movie character. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like,
1: I'm confused.
0: Yeah, but these stray sources of advice that that Brainy has been seeking makes me think that obviously all of the characters could use some therapy. (laughs) They sure could. I mean, we've said that before. but (laughs) We say in this episode about trauma. (laughs) But I think therapy would be really good for Brainy in terms of giving him some like legitimate tools for how to cope with things and deal with his emotions and handle interpersonal relationships. Because he's clearly willing to put effort in but his sources for like how he should interact with people and and handle his own brain are sort of scattered and somebody helping him with that a professional would help it might although i think someone else could use some tips for interpersonal relationships (laughs) and maybe other people's intense emotions
1: yeah Nia was well-intentioned in this episode, (laughs) but it's actually funny that she in her own way had a mini example of this conflict of do I act versus just support someone? And she chose to impulsively act, much like a number of other characters, because Brainy, while he's upset, she just kind of goes for it and decides to kiss him, which like, cool, I guess, because they've been kind of having this like back and forth misunderstanding of intentions, but like they clearly like each other. Kind of like we saw early in season two with like Alex and Maggie and Alex read correctly that Maggie liked her, but there was like this sudden pullback when the reality confronted them both. And so instead of just being there as a support and kind of acknowledging the emotional stuff that Brainy is saying, Nia thinks that she's going to make him feel better by distracting him in a positive way, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't quite work out. Yeah. Which is why then he gives her his little profound speech that he thinks is deep about
0: uh, relationships. It does track with Nia and her character in terms of how she's been heroing kind of very aggressively. So if we talk about building a character and giving them positive traits and negative traits, this sort of impulsive need to act is a example of something that we could see Nia as a character improve upon and grow through addressing.
1: Yep. And some of that's also tied to the fact that she's the youngest character by a wide (laughs) margin. Like, she's supposed to be somebody just out of college. Mm. And as any older adult can tell you about that feeling of being just out of college, you don't feel like an
0: adult. (laughs) And then we come to the person who has sort of triggered this chain of events across the various characters, the sort of traumatic event that starts off the episode with James and his attack.
1: So in this case, we're talking about trauma, which for James, there is some mental trauma, but also specifically very deadly physical trauma to his body that happens. Over the course of the episode, it's revealed that not only was he shot in a way that it hit his spine and could create A lot of permanent damage, even if he doesn't die. We find out that whoever did it was extremely cruel in the way that they did it because they used a bullet that was meant to fracture once it entered the body and create extra tissue damage and make the injuries even worse. And the other little piece of insight that we get about James and perhaps his history with trauma that we might get some more detail about going forward is introduced by his sibling, who we finally get to meet in this episode. And we find out James has made at least 12 trips to the emergency room
0: in his lifetime. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've only seen two of them. (laughs) Although, retrospectively, in season two, when James got shot and was like, I got a little bit shot. (laughs) With Wynne. <laughs> his his nonchalance. Yeah. Yeah, and Wynn is freaking out about it. It makes me understand it a little bit more. It's true. That resiliency came from somewhere.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so we get this other look into James while he's unconscious is his sister explains that, you know, he was always doing something dangerous, which also tracks with his description of the first time that he met Superman where he was chasing a lead on a mm. photo of a burning building and he almost died because he passed
0: out from smoke inhalation. I think James might be a Gryffindor.
1: <laughs> I think probably yes. <laughs> but the point being that much like Kara, the way that he coped with difficult things was to go and refocus his energy somewhere else and do something that was possibly also dangerous or challenging in some way. Yeah,
0: And there's also sort of a mystery element in terms of their family and like what those situations might have been where he felt like he had to run off and do something dangerous.
1: Yeah, because for as much as it's halfway through the fourth season, we know very little about Mm -hmm. James and his backstory. So this is actually quite exciting. He's the last of the original cast who we're getting some additional detail on, yeah. so it's about time.
0: Aided by the introduction of his sister, tying into, of course, the sibling dynamics in this episode, we have met Kelly Olsen, who we've actually been nicknaming Undead Kelly for quite some time. <laughs> so the appearance of the zombies in this episode was extra funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh. The joke haven't come about because in season one, Carr's co-worker and friend Akako, named Kelly, she, during the Myriad event, was brain-controlled into walking off of the Kako building out the window. And she died. And so now we have another Kelly. And so she's undead Kelly. She lives. Hooray. (laughs) And she is a psychologist and in the military, which tracks for the bit of characterization we've gotten for her. She, as Alex says, isn't wobbling at the sort of stressful event of her brother being shot in the back.
1: No, which I pointed out to you is like the exact opposite of what Alex does whenever something is wrong with
0: Kara. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, like Alex will sort of maintain her calm if she has to be in doctor mode. But if not, forget yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. And watch out also. Uh,
1: Yes, you should be afraid.
0: (laughs) Uh, And another way that Kelly served the role of sort of a contrast for Alex is that she picked the safe option in this episode regarding James.
1: Yes. Not a risk taker in quite the Mm. same ways as
0: a meet me outside and I'll jump (laughs) off the balcony. Yes. And in terms of her being a psychologist. Thank God. (laughs) We mentioned wanting people to have therapists, but maybe they'll absorb some mental health by osmosis being around her.
1: Maybe yes. We need someone now that Jean has lost his calming right. chill. Someone else can pick up the slack. Yeah, she can serve the role of just being there. And maybe she's gonna work with Jean Ooh. with the uh the alien therapy circle. That'd be nice. That
0: would be cool. But she's exciting as a character and she's gonna stick around for a while. She has a um season five contract. Yes. Some of this we've known about for quite some time.
1: And I pretend to have chill, but like Alexander. I don't. You're not capable. You don't have the (laughs) genes
0: for it. But she's great already because psychology, and as you might be able to tell from my long discussion of Lex having antisocial personality disorder, I'm very much into psychology. Same. That was
1: actually one of my secondary fields in undergrad. So, neat. So, we're fans. Yeah.
0: And I also like metaphors. No, you don't say. <laughs> and she offered us a psychology metaphor.
1: So, that automatically won your love. Exactly. So.
0: <laughs> With the jello.
1: Yes. Which I commented to you, I've had a weird craving for jello ever <laughs> since that scene. And I like, it just brought me back to my childhood in the 90s when there were jello ads all of the time. <laughs> yes. But in this episode,
0: it is a metaphor for trauma.
1: <laughs> yeah. So her point is that this is actually kind of a sciencey explanation, which, in terms of winning your way into some people's hearts, huh. good choice. The idea is that because of the consistency of it, you can kind of poke it and it's resilient. Yeah. And it will maintain its shape and its integrity up to a point. But if you dig in too deep when you go to like scoop it, you will actually damage the entire thing and it kind of like collapses in on itself. Yeah. So it is an excellent metaphor for what happens when you get serious drama that leaves a lasting scar, mm-hmm. like we've seen figuratively. On a lot of the characters, but also literally, as we mentioned in episode 411, how Alex had a physical scar from when she dealt with the virtual and the truth seeking alien Mm. after she did the mind wipe, which, again, also mental trauma of its own kind that she just doesn't know is there yet. (laughs) (laughs) And then speaking of the Danvers sisters and the sacrifices they will make for each other. In a contrasting example here, we don't get to see Kelly and James interact too much because James spends the bulk of the episode in surgery and trying to not die, (laughs) but... We do see in the way Kelly interacts with other characters that she is every bit as protective of James as Alex can be of Kara. And that was actually very cool to see because it's a very different energy, but it's a very similar sense of like, I am going to do what I think is the right (laughs) thing to protect my family.
0: Yeah, we got to see Alex and Kelly sort of bond over having siblings and that trait that we mentioned that James and Kara share of running off into danger to presumably help somebody so that you don't have to feel your feelings. (laughs) Alex sort of completed that thought and recognized that concept because she herself recognizes that in Kara. Mm -hmm. She also does it too, a little sometimes. Yeah. And in that moment, they were both sort of the sibling who was left waiting while the other sibling acted. And then something that Kelly is doing a little bit better with than the Danvers sisters, (laughs) she called her mom. (laughs) to get James to talk to her after the traumatic event that just happened.
1: Yeah, that was quite exciting and immediately endeared her to me forever because I have regularly joked since at least season three that for as close-knit as the Danvers family is, it's a little odd that like there's never any stray mentions of like calling or texting home because like Eliza doesn't live that far away and I presume she watches the news. (laughs) So like there are times when she'd probably be aware that like one or both of her children might be like in danger yeah but i'm like alex is probably like i didn't want to worry you and car would do that too so on the other hand i kind <laughs> of understand why yeah they're a family full of women who like to protect each other from feeling upset feelings and it sometimes backfires.
0: (laughs) It's, It's true. And so we see Kelly reinforce some familial bonds. And we also see that she sort of understands the kind of found family of the space fam. Yeah. She says about the assorted people who are waiting to see what's happening with James. These people are family too.
1: Which actually is a nice mirror of Alex convincing Jean to let James and Wynne be there in
0: season one when Kara was under the Black Mercy. Mm, Yeah. And she knows how James feels about Carr, at least, and and apparently has met her before.
1: Yeah. When did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) I have a suspicion we will get a little bit more fill in on some of James's past, especially as we get into more of like. Lex and his vendetta against Superman. Also, there's a picture that I suspect is a flashback because a picture of David and McCod and a little boy who looked like he could have been a younger McCod and you could see the Daily Planet in the background. Mm -hmm. So I was like, are we getting a flashback to baby intern James Olsen? Because that'd be adorable.
0: It's an adorable picture and I really hope that that's
1: true. (laughs) Me too. Speaking of people who've met before, we also had a nice symmetry in this episode of the phrase nice to finally meet you from each of the new characters to one of our two core characters. Mm -hmm. So Kelly says it to Alex at the very start of the episode Mm -hmm. and then that's bookended at the very end of the episode by Lex addressing
0: Supergirl with the exact same phrase. Yeah. It's like you're my sibling's friend. (laughs) Yeah, actually. (laughs) And very different energies about that fact. (laughs) So it was cool to see Kelly support this found family concept, which is at the core of the show and some interesting things are happening regarding it right now.
1: Yeah, well, because the showrunners established back in the summer during Comic-Con that the storylines would get a little bit more into this line between how much of your nature and kind of what your genetics and your biology give you affects who you are versus the nurture, which is the people that you surround yourself with and the ideas that you pick up as you mature as a person. And Mm -hmm. as we kind of mentioned last week, specifically with Lena, she recognizes this, and it's very important. Her saving grace is the fact that she can make real connections to other people and that she has friends who will stick up for her. And that was also curious because when I was looking at the quotes that Lex picked from his fancy philosophers, (laughs) a thing by Epicurus that he overlooked was this other quote that says of the things wisdom acquires for the blessedness of life as a whole, far the greatest is the possession of friendship, which is certainly not a thing Lex Luthor would believe because it is too sentimental, but it absolutely does reinforce Lena. And also where she fits into the space fam. Which is very much bound up in the idea that friendship is important and family is important. And you see Kelly acknowledge that as well regarding James and saying he's always been a chosen family kind of guy, alluding to maybe some things we'll find out about his childhood after his father dies and his relationship to Clark, perhaps, among others. Mm. And then we have the third reinforcement of this concept of found family with Jean and Kara and Alex that happens throughout the episode. You see Kara and Alex kind of both recognizing how important they are to each other, and then also Kara being there for Jean while he's. Kind of grappling with the fact that to him, you know, the girls are very much part of his family, Mm -hmm. and Kara reciprocating that and saying, like, no, you know, we're here for you no matter what happens or however you need us to be. And like, that's important too. And it's also curious that we have seen such heavy reinforcement of this concept of the importance of not just your biological ties, but also the family that you make for yourself, knowing that we are going to see in the next episode what exactly Lex and his uh, minions have done to poor Cosni and Kara <laughs> who in her off time apparently lives in like solitary confinement which seems so antithetical to Kara stronger together Zorel.
0: Hmm. yes. We'll have to see how they have nurtured her into however she will be.
1: Yeah, and also how much that will override the kind of what we see as innate in our Kara drive to help other mm. people and be a good person. Yeah, should be exciting. It should. <laughs> Speaking of things that were exciting, before we
0: go, (laughs) final takes on this episode. Eve the Betrayer. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah. She has been plotting away this entire time. And that was a pretty awesome reveal. It was fun. Yeah. In some ways, we should have known the whole time because she's... Miss Tessmacher from the movies who worked with Lex it's like oh duh it fits in like a perfect way but it was surprising and and cool
1: it was surprising but we also did catch some of the foreshadowing yes because we talked about this in um, rather The Fallen Angel with the joke about Adam and Eve but Eve playing this role of kind of tempting Lena and pushing her into keeping Mm -hmm. going and doing the human testing and everything and uh, now we find out that was very very on purpose
0: yeah it's funny because we said. It as like a vague sort of connection. Like she plays this role in the story, and she just kind of fit. (laughs) Sure did. (laughs) Yeah, has a deeper like. Yeah, she definitely was purposefully tempting Lena, as opposed to just kind of casually being really supportive of the idea.
1: Yep. So actually, it's gonna make rewatching a lot of Eve stuff from even season two all the way onward. Very fun to go back to. Yeah. We've already kind of started doing it in preparation for episode 417 coming up in a couple of weeks, which is entitled All About Eve. So presumably we'll get a Mm. little more fill in on how her working relationship with Lex came to be and how she ended up at CatCo having no idea that Lena would ever buy it and maybe finding out a little more who was her original target or was it always Lena? Also, All About Eve is the title of a movie. And I think... We'll find out that this Eve bears some creepy resemblance to uh, the character
0: Eve in that film. (laughs) Yeah. But next week we have the episode called House of L, as in the letter L, as opposed to the E-L-L, that is Kara family surname. So the L could be Luther. Yes.
1: And apparently that title is a play on the actual Red Sun comic. So they're not doing the same take, like 99% sure. (laughs) But it'll be interesting to see how they've made alterations to that story from the comic and what they're going to do with it. Mm -hmm. So that should be exciting, especially since Melissa teased a couple weeks ago that there's an episode coming up where she was playing Cosny and Kara that she's really excited for people to see. So
0: Her second favorite to film ever on the show so that should be really exciting it should be and we will see you guys next week for that thanks for listening